Imagine if all of our patients had an amazing sex ed growing up through like middle school and high school, we would be answering like only 25% of the questions that we're faced with on a daily basis. <laughs> I think it would be awesome if partners could come into every consult with at least some understanding of what the other has to go through. So that way, you know, we can help both of them get to a point of like even greater education and understanding. As men's health specialists, we know guys are shaving their balls. Yeah, we examine a lot of you, so we literally see it, but we also have the data showing it, too. That's right. According to research, over 85% of men trim their pubes. Not only that, but research shows that over 70% of women prefer a partner with at least partially trimmed pubic hair. So, guys... We know you're trimming the edges, and we know that most women prefer you manscape. So if you're going to shave your balls, why not use the best men's grooming kit around? We're talking about Manscaped. With the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 with their all-new skin-safe electric trimmer that protects your balls from getting those cuts we've all had in the past. You also get the Weed Whacker 2.0 for trimming your nose and ear hairs. And let me tell you guys, we all need to do a better job of this. Yep, that's right. Kevin and I both have the performance package, and we really love it. Manscaping has never been easier for us. So, and for our listeners, we have a special promotion. Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code MANUP and get 20% off your first purchase. Go get your Manscaped products today. Your balls and your partner will thank you. topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask. We have the answers. This week, our episode is titled Conversations on Fertility. I'm Dr. Kevin June. I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. What's good, Justin? How you doing? Kev, what's going on, man? Happy, I guess, Monday when we're <laughs> when this is going out. Um, yeah. I'll just be getting home from Chicago. Nice summertime shy trip nothing better than summertime it's the best shy. time of year in chicago right oh my it's god it's the summers your sister knows man she's she's there so um you know my, my sister actually came out to la uh this last week and she was i mean i'll i'll, I'll preface la weather has been goddamn awful like there's like <laughs> it's literally just been like gray skies for like six months right and she comes out here and she's like why would anyone ever live here? You got to live in Chicago. I'm like, dude, you got like amnesia from the winters, you know? But dude, hey, the summers are amazing. Summertime shy is worth all the cold in the world. No summer city beats it. Absolute facts. Having lived there and experienced here. myself, the, the cold is worth it. Having said that, I'm very what? happy in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what you? Uh, what, what are you doing in Chicago? If you don't mind oh, I'm me going asking. to a wedding. I'm going to a wedding. Shout out! Amazing, Mike. Congrats. <laughs> 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 it was a great wedding. I haven't been yet, but you know we're traveling in time. It was a great wedding. Had a good time. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So you know, but. Well, uh, what I was gonna I was gonna transition to the episode, but do you have something else to say? No, that's exactly what I was gonna do. You read my mind. All right. Well, hey, this was an awesome episode. Uh, we were joined by our good friend, Dr. Adriana Wong. I'll let you introduce her, Justin. Yeah, Dr. Wong is is actually a really good friend of ours. We've known her for several years, and you know she's the current chief resident of. Uh, the OBGYN program at UC Davis, and she's actually soon to be a reproductive endocrinology and infertility fellow at the University of Southern California. She's going to be in Kevin's Woods over there in, in LA. And, um, you know, she's done a really good job. She has a great social media following. She's really passionate about educating people um, about fertility especially female fertility. So we thought this would be a really fun opportunity to bring her on and just have a conversation, all three of us, talk about some common questions that men ask about fertility, common questions women ask about infertility that we thought would be very in informative for, for both men and women to hear. And uh, I think it's always great to have these conversations because sometimes 
we hear some stuff that, you know, I never would have thought, you know, sometimes you need the other specialties to bring in questions. And if you listen to Dr. Crawford's uh, episode last week, thank you for listening. Um, we obviously went into detail with the IVF process, but this is kind of more generalities, a lot of more um, general questions, lifestyle questions, things that we get very commonly that we thought, you know, we didn't, we kind of went really deep in the last episode. We're kind of taking a, a step back here. You're absolutely correct, Justin. I mean, I think the whole fertility thing is, you know, it's, it's become more mainstream. A lot more people talk about it now. And so, you know, what, what I was really happy with how this episode kind of came out was that we just sat around and we chat about these general things that you would amongst your, you know, your friends, but we try to kind of include the information, some of these answers to those questions that you may have. And, uh, you know, in a really informal setting, you know, we just kind of sat around and just chat about male fertility and female fertility. So it was a great episode. Yeah. I mean, and one thing obviously is that is really highlighted here is that if you're going through, you know, family planning issues, you're having struggles with fertility, you know, the, this is a conversation. We're having a conversation as male infertility doctors and as reproductive endocrinologists, female infertility doctors. We're having that conversation because this is a conversation we frequently have together in the professional environment. So there's no reason that to think that if your partner is going through one side, you should not be going through it either. You both should be going through that process. Just the way that we're having conversations about this with each other on a professional level, you and your partner should be having conversations about fertility, asking each other questions, um, and having these at, both at home and in the office. I think one thing that we've talked about in the past year is supporting your partner. Guys, go to your, your partner's uh, appointments. Ladies, go to your, your partner's appointments. I think that the communication and the conversations that come from that and the support really goes a long way. Support is very important. Look, the fertility process can become stressful. It can be, you know, absolutely. Hopefully for most people it's, it's fine and there's no difficulties conceiving, but you know, if you're kind of listening, maybe there may be an issue, you know? And so, you know, it is a stressful time and, you know, you just got to be there for each other. And uh, the more you informed you, uh, the more informed you are, you know, the, the better off you're going to be. So really hope you enjoy this episode. Absolutely. All right, guys, as always, enjoy the episode. Download, subscribe, give us a review on all podcasting platforms. Really appreciate the reviews. Really helps us out. Goes a long way. If you can give us a review, give us a comment on, on iTunes or on Spotify. Follow, subscribe us on YouTube. Always goes a long way. So thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. One of the major reasons we do this podcast is to destigmatize conversation in men's health, and that includes mental health. Mental health constantly comes up in our podcast because it can impact so many other aspects of your life. That's why we are sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest therapy service. And listen, guys, we get it. Talking about this stuff can be hard, but BetterHelp makes it that much easier because it's 100% online, so you can get the help you need from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. For our listeners, we have a special deal. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash man up. That's BetterHelp.com slash man up. So make sure you're taking care of your mental health and sign up for BetterHelp today. On today's episode, we are joined here by Dr. Adriana Wong. She's the chief resident of OBGYN at UC Davis and soon-to-be reproductive endocrinology and infertility fellow at the University of Southern California. So today we're going to kind of change up the format again. Uh, this is just going to kind of be a you know relaxed conversation, just talking about common infertility questions that all of us, me, Justin, and Adriana, all kind of get on both the male and female side. So we're going to just kind of have a little conversation back and forth, try to answer as many of these questions as possible uh, about infertility. Thanks, guys. I'm so excited to be here. It's also really great to see you guys again. It's good to see you. It's always good to see you, for sure. <laughs> okay. So obviously, as an OBGYN, I'm most often seeing um, women by themselves in my clinic. But often, I'm also addressing 
questions that women have. So one thing that I recently wanted to ask you guys was how do men know if they're infertile? Is there anything that they need to look for? Justin? Uh, I think it's, I think you brought up immediately an interesting thing that most of the time in your office, there's women because Kevin will attest to this. I would say almost 50% of the time guys come into our office for fertility evaluation. Kevin, who's in there with them? Their partner. Their partner. Exactly. And, and I think that that's a huge issue that, and a sign that a lot of the guys, at least when we talk to them, they don't know about fertility. They're only going in because their partner is going, going yeah. to, you know, <laughs> pushing them to do it. And really, you know, when we're looking at 15% of couples who are struggling with fertility, you know, there's this stigma that women most, uh, you know, carry this burden of, of couple fertility. But as we all know that that's actually not really the case, you know, about 50% of the time there's a male factor involved. Um, and about one third of the time, it's actually a strictly a male factor problem. And really the question is how do men know if they're infertile though? Well, you know, there's a lot of things that impact fertility and we're going to go into detail with a lot of them, but there's lifestyle, medications, medical problems. But most of the time, really for men, you know, they wouldn't know unless, you know, they're trying to have a kid and it takes a really long time and, and you know, they have to go get a doctor and get checked out. I think most of these guys really live normal lives and you really can't point a finger at most of these people and say, oh, this guy is a guy who has infertility. And I think that's a reason why guys should always go see a doctor, establish care in general. But if you're concerned about your fertility with your partner, you really need to go see a doctor. I don't know, Kevin, what, what, anything else I'm missing here? No, I think you make some great points there, especially like, you know, a lot of guys that I see in my clinic who are there for male infertility, this is their first thing that has kind of come up for them in their health that they have issues with. Right. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of here. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. They're there with their partner. A lot of times they'll be like, yeah, you know, why don't you, why don't you ask her? You know, you know, like they, they don't really know what much is going on. That's just guys, right? That's just simple absolutely guy stuff. Absolutely not. No idea. <laughs> no, no idea. But, you know, it's, you know, this is the kind of thing that Justin says. You, you're just kind of living a normal life. And then next thing you know, you could be like, get some news that, hey, look, like, you know, there might be something that you're contributing towards this, you know, infertility process. And, um, you know, it kind of leads to something else in terms of like, you know, are there signs or symptoms of, you know, male infertility, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in general, there are none, you know, basically, you know, you, like Justin says, you're kind of walking around normal things. You know, you may be told that you have something called a varicocele, which is a little bit of swelling. Right. Maybe, maybe you've had a finding that you do have like some sort of genetic component, but these are more rare than not. Um, things that are, you know, such as low testosterone, you may not have symptoms of. And so that's why, you know, you got to get to your doctor and kind of, you know, talk about some of these things. Yeah, that's so interesting. Actually, I saw this um, couple today in clinic because I'm actually on my REI rotation. And, you know, Perfect. just kind of from our side, we described all of the things that we would do on our end and what we would test. And I was shocked because for the first time ever, her partner was like, it's okay, babe. Actually, I think I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I get tested first to make sure that everything wow. on my end is wow. good too. And I was like, I have never seen a man say that before in any of these consults. So well, here's the thing: how many of them actually? Yeah, shout out to him. But like, how many, <laughs> how many of these guys, like, or how many times is a female patient of yours complaining, you know, that their partner doesn't want to get worked up? Is that a common thing that you do here often? It can be. I mean, I think people overlook the male factor um, to infertility, and they often think that you know they assume a lot of blame. And so I think, you know, there are certain circumstances where men aren't open to even having the conversation about having a semen analysis or having that check-in with their doctors. Adrian, let me ask you a question. So, you know, it's, yeah, we're, we're here, we're talking about common infertility questions, right? Just common infertility questions. Do you think that both sides in the relationship who are trying to conceive should have a good knowledge base and kind of background on both sides, you know, you know, information that can potentially contribute to a female factor or a male factor. Do you think that's important? Yeah. I mean, I think that would be awesome. I mean, I think that's what, you know, a good sex education and good background in reproductive health care would, 
I mean, imagine if all of our patients had an amazing sex ed growing up through like middle school and high school. Oh. We would be answering like only 25% of the questions that we're faced with on a daily basis. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I think it would be awesome if partners could come into every consult with at least some understanding of what the other has to go through. So that way, you know, we can help both of them get to a point of like even greater education and understanding. I think that's a great point. So, you know, guys, listen, a lot of times your partner is willing to make the trip to the office with you. I think it's important you show support and also make that trip for your partner as well. Um, and I think the, the next question really for you comes down to this education idea. Yep. And I know it's a simple concept, but I think guys really need to understand this. Can you explain the ovulation cycle and, you know, the female, you know, fertility window to our listeners. Cause although it sounds obvious, I think I find myself explaining this a lot in my clinic and how it works and how you want to time sex sexual intercourse. Yeah. Happy to. So we start having menstrual cycles in our adolescence. Usually it's around 12, 13 years of age and it's all in preparation to get pregnant. So we will have a cycle that's generally 21 to 35 days our ovaries will have a dominant follicle, which will ultimately release an egg. The egg will be released in the mid middle of the cycle. It hangs out. And if it doesn't get fertilized by a sperm, then your uterine lining will shed and you have a period. And the period can last anywhere between like two to seven days. Um, your fertile window is the time period in which you're the most likely to get pregnant. So it's the five days leading up to it and also including, sorry, it's the six days. It's a six day period that you're the most fertile. It's the five days leading up to ovulation and the day of ovulation. So it's that six day window. And generally it's 14 days from your anticipated next period. So it's actually kind of confusing because you actually count backwards from when you think your next period will start. So in like the old days, when people were trying to figure out when they, they were, quote, the most fertile, they would actually just, you know, calendar method, figure out based on the dates when they were having their periods every single month, and then count backwards about 12 to 14 days. And then as long as you're having intercourse in the days preceding, and also usually one to two days after when you think you may be ovulating, you're most likely to get pregnant. Now, there's a lot of apps or fertility trackers that people can mm -hmm. use. And all those right. apps are doing is basically doing that same counting backwards from when you think your period may be based on the patterns and the data that you're putting into them. Interesting. So uh, it, it is interesting. For it's sure. interesting. Sorry, it's interesting ahead. because like kind of it's it's not as set in stone. Like each each, you know, woman's gonna be different, right? Depending on the range of their ovulation cycle or whatever. Uh, basically you gotta count backwards from the pattern that we're seeing, correct? Correct. And that's why having regular cycles is considered to be what we look for. If you're having a regular cycle, so your cycles are more frequent than 21 days or less frequent than 35 days, so outside of that range of normal, then we would want you to come in for an evaluation sooner rather than later and not wait that 12 months if you're less than 35 of trying to try, try to get pregnant or, you know, six months if you're older than 35, because the likelihood that you're ovulating is actually low, or you have a higher likelihood of missing when you're ovulating. And that's important to know. And I think also this, the ovulation, you know, the cycle here is very important for guys. And I think couples, because, you know, a lot of guys will come into my office and be like, yeah, I, I ask, you know, if they have a tracker, I ask, how they're engaging in sex. And a lot of the guys will be like, oh, it's the window doc. So I'm having sex like five times a day. I'm exhausted. I can't do this <laughs> shit anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't have to do that. You don't. Right. So, you know, we know that sperm can live in the uterus for a few days. And, you know, I think when, I think we all agree, you know, when we talk about counseling patients, for sexual intercourse and, and, and planned pregnancy, it's really an every other day. If you wanted every day, that's fine, but you don't need to be having sex. Like when that window comes up like a hundred times, <laughs> I don't think it's really going to increase well, wait, the odds. Yeah, just, 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 you know, my brain's kind of going right now. A question, just a question. <laughs> 
if you are doing it five, six times a day, are you optimizing or are you kind of putting yourself a little bit at a disadvantage? Because your sperm count's got to go down on each subsequent ejaculation, you know? I'm asking you guys that. That's what I'm dying to hear because I have patients who are like, oh, yeah, my guy's been saving it. Oh, saving it's bad. (laughs) No saving it is bad. Saving it, you know, we do show that there is studies showing that, you know, optimal for uh, semen parameters are really, you know, two to three days. That's why when we ask for a semen analysis, we don't want you saving it. If you're a guy and we do have those guys who say, oh, I've been saving it for like two weeks. I'm ready to go now. I have like, it's the quality of your sperm is not good. You need to, you know, clean the pipes. You, you need to just regenerate job. these babies. <laughs> you literally do. I mean, so I don't, you're not optimizing yourself. You're just making yourself really tired and making yourself more stressed. Yeah. And I mean, and by that same token, you know, you see people who get super, super stressed out throughout the process of trying to get pregnant. And it really does take away like the pleasure and the joy from the active intercourse themselves itself. And so I think it's important, you know, what, whatever a couple deems reasonable for them to have intercourse during that fertile window is what they should go off of and whatever their preference is. That, that's a great point. And that's something that Justin and I see often. The guys who also come in having a little bit more situational erectile dysfunction. It's kind of normal. Mm-hmm. It's stressful. You know, now sex, just like Adriana said, sex is not pleasurable. It's like a mission, you know, at this point. It's like, all right. It's a job, man. What we, we've hit the window. It's time to go. You know, let's do this, you know. And you're kind of put on the spot. And so <laughs> it's it's kind of things that we – but we see it often, right, Justin? And so, you know, we sometimes prescribe a little CLS and stuff like that. But, you know, it is stressful. It's a stressful, you know, time period. can't be. Totally. Okay. Let's see. So what happens at the initial male fertility visit? Kev, you got this. All right. So – uh, at a male fertility visit, there's a few things that we do. All right. And, uh, you know, it's good for guys to kind of know ahead of time. So they know what they're kind of getting into. All right. So first thing is we, we take a really detailed history. Uh, you know, we just want to see if there's something that kind of, you know, will kind of point us in the direction of possible concern. So these are things such as previous infections, previous trauma, um, something, even, even recent COVID. These are things that we want to know. Right. Um, and uh, next we do is a really, you know, detailed physical. Detailed physical as in we really assess, you know, your scrotum. We're checking the, your testicular size, making sure that there's no anatomical variance, checking to see if something called a varicocele. Varicoceles are basically dilated veins that surround the vas deferens and can contribute to possible male infertility. Um, additionally, we do some blood work uh, that includes hormones that basically tell us, you know, is the brain interacting with the scrotum correctly? And additionally, to make sure that you have a good amount of testosterone. Um, we'll talk a little bit about later about, you know, the differences in what kind of testosterone is good for sperm health. But, you know, at a basis, testosterone is important. And finally, the most important thing and what most guys, you know, love doing is the semen analysis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically that just tells us how much sperm, how much viable sperm is within the semen. And, uh, you know, we kind of have some markers that kind of tell us, hey, maybe this is a little bit low for, you know, being able to achieve natural conception. Justin, did I miss anything? No, but I mean, listen, so I'm going to ask Adriana this question, like, just to give a perspective once again, and, and we had a guest that gave us this, this again, uh, these details before, but it's very important. We are literally talking to you, getting some blood work, touching your balls, and then asking you to jizz in a cup. And then now, Adriana, what does a a workup, you know, a quick summary for a fertility workup for a female? Because I guarantee you, it's not as fun as that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, a lot of it starts out the same like yours. So, it's, you know, history and physical. Finding out if you... No, no, oh my goodness. (laughs) And so, you know, it's finding out if someone's ever been pregnant, also obtaining a very thorough gynecologic history, history of sexually transmitted infections. What birth controls have you ever been on? Um, Is this the same partner as, you know, previous pregnancies? Has anything else changed from previous pregnancies? Um, And then depending on what that history shows us, we may go down a certain 
path with labs. We may also do a pelvic exam in order to see if there's any anatomic concerns similar to yours. We want to make sure that there's nothing concerning on our pelvic exam as well. We usually look at the vagina, the cervix, um, the uterus. We can do based on feel. Um, um, during our physical exam, but then we get a better sense of things with the pelvic ultrasound where we're able to look at the uterus, tubes, and ovaries, and that's generally a transvaginal ultrasound. All right. So, I mean, it's a little bit more invasive. It's a little <laughs> bit more in detail, you know, so, so guys, we do, I mean, do they do the HSOs? I, I, do we do those? Yeah. No? HSGs, HSGs. Oh, HSG, sorry. Yeah. So we do, um, some places have radiology do that, but some have OBGYNs do it as well. Gotcha. And that can and, be very uncomfortable because you have to time it for, you know, the appropriate time during the menstrual cycle. Um, you know, they're filling saline usually into your, you know, your uterus, your over your fallopian tube. So it's, yeah, with it's the HSG, it's actually thing. that dye that they're using to see if your tubes are patent and that infiltration of the dye can be super crampy and uncomfortable. Ugh. So once again, guys, workup isn't that bad to see us. Um, we're not asking much. Your partner's not asking much. I think it's really, really worth it at the end of the day. Um, now, Adriana, one thing kind of to follow up on this, you know, when we're talking about fertility evaluation, you know, the big question is always at what age does female fertility start to decline? Can you give us some numbers and different age brackets for that for people to really make sure that they understand? Generally, women's fertility declines once you turn 35 or go into our later 30s and continues onward into our early 40s. But it's not that our eggs, you know, once you turn 35 on your 35th birthday, they decide to just poop out and aren't good anymore. <laughs> it's really a steady decline and you see increased rates of chromosomal abnormalities, meaning eggs that will end up in a miscarriage. And we also see lower pregnancy rates. All right. All right. So 35 is kind of around the number, yeah. but you know, it's, it's still something that, you know, you just have to be aware of, you know, and I think that when it comes to men, believe it or not, we're not that different after all for a really long time. Right. It was always thought mm -hmm. that, you know, men can make sperm forever, which we can, but <laughs> yeah, we can, that's the bottom line, you know, I'm in Miami. I see guys coming in for, you know, fertility care at the age of 70, right? So we can, but, you know, the quality of that sperm, we know declines, right, Kev? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. And for the longest time, it used to be like, well, yeah, the male side, the guys are going to keep making sperm. That's, that's fine. It's going to go into their 70s, 80s. But, you know, recent studies have really showed that exactly what Justin said, the quality starts declining. You know, you're starting to see that in some of these studies, like age of 40, you know, we're starting to see that, you know, potentially that there could be rates in decline. Now, there's a lot of factors, and that's that's the issue Absolutely. with fertility, right? There's there's a lot of factors. There's lifestyle factors, which are kind of hard to study. You have your, you know, your testosterone's kind of declining. So those are some things to kind of consider. And it's you know, it's just factors, right? You know, generally generally men who are in their forties, their their partners may be a little older. So those are additional factors to think about. But from what we know, it seems like sperm quality does kind of decrease at 40, right, Justin? Around your 40s, 50s, yeah, as yeah. you get older. So it is something that, you know, age, unfortunately, for everyone is a factor, and it comes for all of us at one point, Ugh. except for me because I'm Peter Pan. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't look like Peter Pan, man. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't ever. I look way too hairy. I'm like Peter Pan, Paul Pan. I'm Peter Pan's father. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, a question that I had for you guys is: What does like if a man is recommended to have a semen analysis? What does that process look like? Like, do you have to do it in the lab, or can you do it at home? Do you have to fill the cup? Mm. Whoa, fill the cup. <laughs> How big is the cup? My God. My wow. God. If you have to fill the cup, you'll be in there for 10 days. <laughs> Just take this one. All right. So, you know, the semen analysis process back in the day, I would say even five, six years ago, maybe less, was a lot different picture than it is today it, for, for a good. And that's a good thing. You know, 
Um, if you were to come to a male infertility doctor probably five, six years ago, they would, or you would, they would probably send you most of the time either to their lab or a reproductive endocrinologist like Adriana's uh, lab to get a semen analysis. And typically, you know, you would get that scheduled um, depending on, you know, the busyness of the lab. Um, you would pay the cash price um, and, you know, you would be told to hold off on ejaculating two to three days mm -hmm. before, provide a sample. The lab would do its analysis. And I don't really know every time frame for each lab is different, but usually you get it fairly quickly. Um, it could be difficult. You could be very far from a lab, you know, um, but that's really the only way to do it. Uh, since then, there has been really some incredible advances when we're come, when we're talking about semen analysis and access to information. So, you know, there's a lot of companies out there. You can go on Amazon. I use I use some companies as well in my office. Um, that uh, all you have to do is you know go online, sign in, and uh, basically they send you a kit and you provide the sample at home and you some some technologies you can get a read right away saying hey your sperm's good sperm's bad you know without a number other companies you send it away and they give you exact numbers so there's a lot of different ways in which you can get semen analysis information and and there's a convenience factor um but um i find that a lot of guys a lot of younger guys now who are you know as we're becoming a generation of fitbits and you know, Apple watches where we want to know our general health information as a preventative means, we're starting to see more and more guys think about using this earlier on. And I know Kevin has, feels a certain way strongly about this kind of stuff because I think access is important. Information is important. And Kev? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, I think these, these new home tests are awesome. You know, something important to consider now, some of these tests like, uh, you know, that – can kind of give you a read at home. These are still kind of information that us urologists or male infertility specialists and even REIs, you know, we still probably want one that's done in the lab still, but it kind of is a good screener for you to kind of get an point. idea like, hey, you know, you know, how much sperm do I have? And that's kind of the extent that they can do. But um, the ones that get sent into the lab, those ones are really useful. They're done in like a lab setting. Um, and also to kind of elaborate and just kind of give an idea, like these labs let's say you're going to give the specimen at the labs like you know it's you're kind of in a room there's a little you know sometimes there's a recliner sometimes there's a tv oh it's and, not like a uh, bathroom it's like an actual it's like cozy no, it's room a, it's uh, cozy oh, fine we could use the word cozy, i've seen right? some bathrooms out there i've seen some <laughs> bathrooms out there but uh yeah and, and so in this room there, there could be some entertainment playing and there could be some you know handheld entertainment but that, the, you know, is the entertainment room, diverse, like for different preferences? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But usually they tell you nowadays, I think we've they, they reached tell you a point where they sell you just use your phone. <laughs> yeah. just use the your preferences phone. are too diverse <laughs> now. Just as a side note, I've looked into these rooms and I hope like some of them, they started putting like a little bit of a like a paper sheet on the couch. Just I think that's a good idea. So, yeah. so as a guy, you, know, you should ask for a paper sheet, right? <laughs> yeah. Ask for a paper sheet on the couch. Just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in general, I think, listen, it, it, when it comes to, to filling up the cup, no. I mean, you, it, the, that's one problem, though, is seriously getting all of it into the cup. You know, a lot of guys miss. Yeah. And when we're looking at a semen analysis, it is very important we know the volume because that is a big factor yes. in assessing your semen. So, you know, if you are providing a sample – you know, really make sure you time it right so you get all of it out. Now, I know some guys say, oh, you know, it's it's different. I'm uncomfortable. I can't get fully hard. And sometimes you're, you know, when you ejaculate, you're, you're not ejaculating as hard. So even if you got to like milk out the rest, I know it's a big detail, but it's actually important. Get as much of it into the cup as you can. You're, it, you're not going to fill it up, but. But and, and also tell the the tech or the andrologist, whoever's there, like if you missed, just just tell them you missed. Don't be yes. like, oh, here it is, because then uh, you know the male fertility person is going to be like, hey, wow, is he is he obstructed? Like, why is his volume low? Yeah, but if you that's were a like, great tip. like, oh, I missed, I'll be like, ah, it, it, let's let's repeat it in a few days or something like that. You know, no, right, baby, exactly. not a problem. You know, so it's a it's a really really good point. 
Um, all right. So for you now, we were kind of alluding to it, you know, before, but how long should, you know, a couple naturally trying wait to get evaluated for fertility? Um, you know, and it's obviously important for both sides. Um, tell us what, what, what is, what are the rules that you guys go by? Yeah. So the guidelines are 12 months of trying if you're less than the age of 35 and then six months of trying if you're over 35. Now, that being said, there are some reasons that you should go in sooner rather than later. If you're having irregular cycles, meaning, you know, outside of that window of 21 to 35 days, the likelihood that you're catching your ovulation or that you may even be ovulating is lower. So you should go in sooner rather than later so that you don't waste that time. Another reason would be if you've had problems with infertility in the past and you've required IVF or other forms of assisted reproductive technology, you may need it sooner rather than later. Another reason would be if you've undergone treatment like chemo or radiation, you may also require some assistance. So these are all good things that you should kind of keep in your mind if you're trying to get pregnant. And if you are making the decision to start getting pregnant, you should also see your OBGYN because there's certain preconception things that we can do just to make sure that your health is completely optimized. Really makes sense. And, you know, obviously you're talking about the age for the female partner, but, um, you know, the timeline is also very important and very important for male partners to understand, you know, um, and, and I think a lot of the time is when you're, when your female partner gets checked up, the rule is you get checked up too. Yep. I think that it's, that's pretty much how we, how we roll here. Um, but it, and when I want to go now into kind of some lifestyle factor stuff, because I think that that's really important because fertility is a really interesting one, at least for men where a lot of the things that we see and when it comes to fertility can be impacted by, you know, your, your lifestyle and things that you're doing. Um, and I'm going to start with you asking you a question first though, is there any specific lifestyle things that, you know, a big glaring one that you feel like female partners need to be aware of that they are doing that potentially are putting themselves at risk for, uh, infertility? Yeah. I mean, if you smoke, stop smoking, that has a huge impact on your egg quality even marijuana has an impact as well. Um, any drug use, alcohol use, if you can cut back on any of those things or quit them altogether, that will improve your chances of conception a lot. What about you guys? Well, uh, well, let's start off with smoking. All right, let's start off with smoking. So smoking, look, smoking's bad for you. There's no way I'm going to tell you right now that smoking is going to be like, you know, optimize your male fertility. <laughs> So smoking is bad. And that's, that's, that is one for sure. I can tell you like, look, that's going to potentially, you know, be a lifestyle factor in male infertility. These cigarette smoke, you got nicotine, you got carbon monoxide. These are all things that can cause DNA damage. And it's important because that's some stuff that's a little bit, you know, more harder to kind of detect a, a regular semen analysis doesn't really detect DNA damage, right? We do have tests right, right. that do kind of further that, but a lot of times these tests are extra money on top of everything so these are not conventional tests that we would do right off the bat mm-hmm. so you know so from that standpoint it, it can affect the dna of it it can also re- reduce the sperm count motility and morphology as such um but yeah in general smoking is bad uh justin what about marijuana well i want to also com- comment on a more increasing trend too is vaping and oh, vaping, vaping okay. You know, vaping is also important to understand right now. There is limited data because I think it's a newer thing, but I'm seeing more and more guys come in, especially in, you know, South Florida area who are vaping at least daily and um, sometimes, you know, more socially, you know, when they're out. But while there is limited data, I think the thought process is the same in general. You know, you're putting some foreign chemicals into your body can cause inflammation, can cause, you know, a not ideal environment for, you know, sperm to live in. And uh, there has been some data, at least in mice and a very limited data in humans suggesting that, you know, there isn't, they can cause inflammatory uh, issues and uh, potentially compromise your fertility. So, you know, smoking in all forms and vaping is one of them is not good. And, and then that leads to marijuana and, 
you know, data for marijuana is, is starting to suggest that it can potentially compromise semen parameters, you know, things like sperm concentration, motility, morphology, like you said, and uh, hormone levels like testosterone, LH and FSH have in some studies been suggested to be compromised by marijuana. But, you know, I think the problem with marijuana and what, you know, for some people, and I've seen a lot of guys, they say, I need it. It's a mental health thing. I, I smoke daily or I smoke a decent amount. And, you know, I think it, the problem inherently is I don't know what too much is. You know, they'll be like, well, I don't, I'll, I'll reduce. I'll smoke less. And I think that we all have this issue because it's not regulated well. Like, I don't know if edibles versus, you know, uh, smoking it versus, a, you know, blunt, a spliff, however you smoke it, really makes a difference in how it impacts your fertility. And there's just no data on it and it's no one's fault. But like, I don't know if taking one gram uh, of an edible versus a five versus a 20, you know, really is going to impact it differently from another thing. So I think I agree. If you're really serious about optimizing your fertility, we're not narcs or anything like that. But like, if you're serious about it, you probably need to cut out the marijuana or at least limit it significantly. I don't know. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if there's anything that you can modify in your lifestyle, I think it's worth it. You know, it's a, it's an interesting question. And it's one I always have a discussion with my patients about because, you know, these are, these are, these are like at the root. Well, you're in like, LA too. Everyone's smoking weed because it's legal. But here right. it's Florida, it's right. Florida but, too. But. but just like in general, just like lifestyle, like let's just talk lifestyle, right? right? Other ones are like alcohol. They bring it up. And the interesting thing is what I always tell patients is like, look, there, there are people out there who are drinking a ton, drinking a ton and having no problems conceiving. Right. You know, and that's that's a fact. Right. We see that. Facts. But we do know that alcohol can cause male infertility. So like how like how are we able to like guide and counsel correctly? But I always tell patients like, look, you're here in my office. So probably you're having issues like there's, you know, most of the time we do, you know, we see patients mm -hmm. who are there for kind of just a general workup. But my kind of rule of thumb is like, well, you're here. So there's a sense that you have that there could be an issue. Right. And if there could be an issue, the things that you can modify or you can probably fix are probably things that you should do. So if you're in my office and, yeah, you do drink significantly and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we've been trying having it. Hey, look. Probably the drinking's, you know, contributing or the marijuana is contributing. And, you know, I'm not saying to stop it cold, you know, but things in moderation or just to consider. Moderation, man. Moderation is is key. I think a lot of the times I totally agree. I think we're not robots here. We're, we're yeah. pretty reasonable people, you know, and, and I also don't think it's realistic for, for you to go into a room and talk to a patient and be like, cut out everything in your life. Like, yeah. Be, like life Ghost is hard, you know, cold. like a lot of, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, people are stressed. They're having sex and they're stressed about having sex. Yeah. They probably want to have a drink. They probably want to be a little high. I get, you know, like that, that helps <laughs> cut the, that helps cut it. No, but that's a realistic thing. I, I mean, I'm not saying everyone's getting high, but it's a, it's a, it's a realistic thing. So I think, you know, talking about it, understanding these things is, is, is really important. Um, now, Adriana, we're going to talk a little bit about hormones because uh, one thing that women all often do for fertility purposes is, you know, they have to sometimes to get regular um, cycles like you talked about was really important. They do have to start on uh, potentially some uh, hormonal treatments and therapies. Can you kind of just give us a quick breakdown for, for some of those uh, treatments that they may need to at least get like regular for fertility purposes? You mean like for pregnant, only for pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah. For pregnancy, for pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. So if you have a regular cycles, there are certain medications that we can give you in order to help you have a higher likelihood of ovulation. Some of them are, some of them are oral and also some of them are injectable, but it just depends on what your doctor thinks is the most appropriate for you. But basically it's to overcome that barrier of the likely problem with ovulation. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because in general, um, women uh, come to the REI and they're given, you know, if they need it, uh, some kind of hormonal therapy, especially obviously during the IVF process is a whole other right. very, very intense thing. But a lot of guys when it comes to us are coming in for fertility, infertility because they 
were on some kind of oh hormone. yeah that's such a good point right and that's kind of where i was going with it that they are actually on something and we have to take them off of it and i'm talking about testosterone so you know testosterone is a huge problem when it comes to male infertility yes. uh Ke kevin can you just give us elaboration on on testosterone and, and its role in infertility yeah, absolutely. So look, you know, I mentioned earlier, testosterone is important for sperm production. But, you know, there's two types of testosterone. There's the testosterone that your body makes and then the testosterone that you re receive wholesale, right? And this is known as testosterone replacement therapy. So a lot of guys who are bodybuilders, such not, uh, who take testosterone, whether it be injectables, topical, oral testosterone, any of these things are going to shut down your system because you're telling your body, hey, I've got enough testosterone. So it shuts down the system that is necessary to make sperm. So what happens? You show up, you're like, hey, I've been trying for a year. Hasn't been happening. And, you know, you do a semen analysis and you've got no sperm, no sperm whatsoever. And, uh, you know, Justin, you know, what do we do in these situations? And what, what, what's our kind of protocol? Well, you know, it's it's really important that guys understand what you said. So there's data showing about 60% of men on testosterone develop what we call azoospermia or no sperm in their ejaculate while on testosterone. And that's reversible you, or permanent? That's the that's the important question. And in general, it is reversible. The good news is that, you know, data suggests that if you stop the testosterone, in general, it can majority of people uh, have return of sperm to their ejaculate right. in about one year, um, almost everyone mm -hmm. uh, by two years. But, you know, that's a long time, right? When we were just talking about age and time being a big factor here. And two years, if you're 35 and you jump to 37 and you're not starting the process and you know, it can take a really long time. So um, there are things that we can do if you are struggling with low testosterone. And in a similar pattern of guys who present initially with low testosterone is our goal is to optimize and help you create more testosterone naturally. Now there's different medications that we can use. And then actually you guys, Adriana, use similar medications for what you do. I, I try now, to source them from the same pharmacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, the medications we use are Clomid, which is a selective estrogen uh, receptor modifier. Basically it, it signals to your pituitary gland in your brain to continue to make more FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, which tells your testicles to make sperm and LH, which is luteinizing hormone, which um, tells your testicles to make testosterone. So it tells them to make more of that naturally, which hopefully will increase your fertility and your testosterone. There's also another medication, HCG, which you guys also use, um, which is basically uh, what we like to call an analog. It's similar, similar in structure to LH. Basically, this one is not oral. Clomid's oral. You inject yourself and People have different protocols, usually two or three times a week. Um, uh, and basically that your testicle, the, the LH receptors read HCG as LH and promote um, not only testosterone, but it's actually also shown uh, potentially spermatogenesis as well. So those, that, those, there are medications that you can take to increase your testosterone naturally and not only, you know, not compromise your fertility, but actually potentially increase it. Um, so it's, it's, it can be exhaustive, but I think the main point here, and I think you guys would agree is if you're thinking about taking testosterone, go to a urologist, go to a, you know, uh, andrologist, talk to your local healthcare provider before doing it, because there's a lot of risks and benefits that you may not be aware of. I did a study where I was a secret shopper and 50% of these companies online didn't mention that they could cause fertility and oh that's gosh. a problem. So yeah. very, very concerning. So something you need to be aware of. Yeah. That direct to consumer um, now, marketing is so crazy. I mean, you see it everywhere. Yeah. It's, and it's, you know, it, there are benefits. Yeah. Right. right. It, it, the thing is, you know, Adriana, you know, it's everywhere. Right. But it's right. There, there are really good things about it because we're getting Absolutely. access to patients, but you know, it's important that they're well-informed, you know? So we're trying to do our job here, but at the same time, you know, we, you know, they also got to do a part to kind of inform because yeah, you're going to get a bunch of guys on testosterone 
And then we'll see them in the office and, you know, they're going to be azoospermic, have no sperm in the ejaculate. And they'll yeah. be like, I didn't know. And, you know, that's yeah. not a great answer. So. And not you brought up Clomid, and it's so cool that we use some of the same medications. At least for some women, it can give them menopausal symptoms. So it can kind of give you like hot flashes or vaginal dryness. What does it mm. cause in men? Honestly, wow. it's pretty well tolerated medication. Wow. It's, uh... I, I knew you were going to say that, and I was dreading that. <laughs> some GI issues. I've had guys honestly complain, say that they almost felt like they had a hot flash or they had yeah. felt like super energetic. So it's not out of the picture. Usually, though, guys, after about a month, they're kind of out of that window where they, they feel that. But I have had guys say, you know, they felt like they were having a hot flash or they weren't used to having, you know, the higher testosterone. Um, and in general though, you know, I think, you know, Clomid is not going to make you feel the same as if you're on TRT. So guys who take, have taken testosterone, they put on Clomid, the expectation is you're not going to feel like you're jacked up like you are on testosterone because it's just a different experience. Your levels are not going to go as high most of the time. Um, but I think it's a really well tolerated medication. I, I don't know, Kevin, anything I'm missing? Well, I, I do have some patients who do complain, and a lot of them are the ones that were on T. And just like the point you made, it's a very different like T's. You're gonna have your like your peaks, like that's what we call it. You're gonna you're right. gonna kind of peak. Clomid, you don't right. Clomid, you're not really spiking your testosterone levels. It's a much more plateau. I do have some guys who sometimes you know come and talk about water retention, feel like they're mm. gaining a little bit weight. Mm. I do see some of that, um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, you know, I echo what Justin said. It's it, for the most part, it's well tolerated as long as you know you're not expecting a T high that, you know, for the patients that were on TRT before. So so if men have a problem with their fertility, is this something that can be cured or treated or is this a diagnosis that you just have to live with? Well, you know, it's uh, it really depends, right, Justin? You know, it, it yeah. depends. There's... Look, male infertility. When you look at the diagnoses, there's there's a list of them, right? You know, is is you know is you know. Let, let me just go off with one of them, right? First off, there's these two medical terms that you may kind of hear. You know, it's non-obstructive azoospermia and ob obstructive azoospermia. I'm not going to kind of dwell on here and go into medical terminology, but basically, it's just saying like, are you having a blockage of getting your sperm out, or are you not? producing sperm those are really kind of two different things right you're producing enough sperm but you can't get it out or you just have something a component that's not producing sperm you know when you talk about cured like cured means like we can reverse the process and then you're going to be able to conceive naturally i think that's what people think and if it's something that's blocked i think we have a little bit more at our resource we can try to do some reconstructive surgeries to try to get you unblocked right and so if you want mm -hmm. to think of cured as natural conception that's possible when it's a production issue, that's a little bit more of an issue because, you know, we kind of go into a little bit more detail, a little more further workup. But kind of in those kind of aspects, it's not able to be cured, but we can kind of treat it or at least try to get you to conception, which is the goal. Right, Justin? Or to, yeah, to, to I, a live birth, right? Yeah, no, and I, I think, you know, there's a spectrum of cured and treated. Um, obviously, the goal is always for you to have your own offspring. Um, through whatever means possible. Now, if there's lifestyle issues, you know, we're going to optimize it. And then maybe you, yeah. we can treat, we can treat the lower sperm count or sometimes zero sperm because maybe you're on testosterone. Oh, one thing we didn't mention because you're going in a hot tub, sauna, jacuzzi every day because you're smoking cigarettes. So these are things that we can potentially, um, that are very easy to do or easier said than done um, that can really treat your low sperm count. Sometimes I've seen guys with near zero sperm doing all these things that have ret return of sperm to their ejaculate. Um, surgeries you talked about, you know, varicoceles we mentioned. Um, and, but in general, I think a large portion of patients that come with a fertility, whether it's zero sperm in their ejaculate or low sperm, you know, have a good opportunity to walk away with a child, uh, especially if you have sperm in your ejaculate, even if it's low. The guys who have zero sperm in your ejaculate and a production issue, it's still possible, but it's on a case-by-case -case basis. And, and, you know, it's hard to really give numbers. But, you know, the important thing is in this process is, you know, it does take two to tango. So, 
you know, while you may be struggling here, you also have to realize that, you know, even if there's not a female factor involved, if you have a very low sperm count and you're not conceiving naturally, guess who's going through the, the other end of the treatment? It's, it's, it has to still go through IVF. That's a if great you have no point. sperm in your ejaculate and point. we have to go to the testicle, guess who still, even if they're completely fertile and they have no problems, who has to go through the other aspect of it? It's still the female partner. They still have great to go point. through IVF. So it's a really, really interesting thing that, you know, we kind of take for granted sometimes because, Hey, uh, you know, we sometimes have to ask the partner to overcompensate for something that, um, you know, so that we can have, have a middle ground and have a baby. I don't know, Adriana, what do you think? I mean, I think that's, it's reassuring to me that you guys, at least from your guys' perspective, you feel like there are some things that, you know, are surmountable with the technologies that we have in certain conditions that at least with some lifestyle modifications can be worked through. I think a lot of the times, at least from our female end, there are, you know, sometimes you just throw the kitchen sink at it and we just see what works and we don't really know how or why it's working, but there's sometimes multiple factors at play and we don't exactly know right. what it will take to get to that pregnancy. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I think whatever we can in order to optimize every little bit of it. You know, that's, you know, the fertility still, we, we, there's still so much we don't understand, Right. That's why, you know, Insane unfortunately, amount. with our with our technologies, what we still know, it's it's still not like a hundred percent in being able to get to a live birth. But I yeah. think what what the what REIs have done really advanced this technology to really get us there for a lot of patients who are suffering with infertility is has been really amazing, though. Really provides that like you know that opportunity that you know many years ago before IVF uh, was created didn't weren't afforded. Yeah. And I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I feel like just like more than ever before, there's just been this focus on our fertility. You know, now that at least like I'm in my thirties now, I feel like I hear my friends talking about it all the time because we've been, we've been trying to prevent pregnancy our whole lives. And then now we're kind of confronted with this reality that it may not be as easy as we had thought. So I think, you know, at least I feel like my friends are talking about it more than ever. And it's, it's amazing that we have these options, but they're certainly not perfect or a hundred percent effective. I think it's a really great point. And, uh, especially it's like, you see guys and girls come in and they go, you know, I went through school saying, if I have sex once, I'm just going to have a baby. And I've had sex like for the last two years and I've got nothing going on. What's up. And, uh, it is the reality of the situation. And I think it's important to understand that you're not alone in this process. You just said it yourself. You have a lot of friends, you know, people, people, you know, they talk about fertility, Kevin and I, I'm guarantee you I've had so I have people I know ask about fertility. It's just one of those things that, um, is important. And I think one of the highlights that we've kind of talked about today is it's unfortunately sometimes a good surrogate, for other stuff going on in your life. So, you know, I, I think, you know, especially when it comes to lifestyle. So if you really are serious about, you know, having a kid, you should be serious about taking care of yourself. And, um, and I think that goes for, and, and, you know, being a good open communicative partner is, is also part of that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well said, Justin Dubin. Well said. Well, right. hey, this, was, like, we this was a great conversation. Yeah. This was awesome. Adriana, thank you for coming on. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Felt like we were just yeah, hanging of course. out. Tell, yeah, that's, I mean, I, we need to hang out soon, IRL. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see if I'm going to, I'm cool. I say IRL. Yeah, I know. I know. You're super <laughs> cool. Yeah, are you guys going to go to ASRM? Uh, this is in New Orleans maybe. next year, right? Yeah, that'd be lit. Yeah, maybe. Going to try. I mean, try. I've been to New Orleans like four times in the last, like 14 months. Yeah, weren't you like just there? Yeah, I was there for Mardi Gras. So that was awesome. But um, probably took away a year of my life, but that's fine. Um, I thought you were Peter Pan. Anyway, so... Oh, yeah, Paul Pan. Oh, yeah. I didn't know Peter Pan. I didn't know Paul Pan was Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, so tell us where, tell our listeners where they can find you because truthfully, you put out some amazing content, yes. really informative content on TikTok and Instagram. 
Really awesome. Make sure you follow Adriana. Where can our listeners find you? Follow me at eight. Hold on. What is my handle? Okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm not used to saying it. Okay. We're keeping this. Oh my God. (laughs) You can find me at Adriana Wong, MD, A-D-R-I-A-N-A-W-O-N-G-M-D on Instagram and TikTok. Um, And I'll, I don't know what to say. Okay. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Adriana Wong, MD. (laughs) Perfect. That's great. She's awesome. Make sure you follow her. She's got, like I said, really good. See, now you're messing me up here. (laughs) Really good, really good content. Um, But for our listeners, as always, uh, find us on any podcasting platform. Give us a review, uh, download, subscribe, five stars, really pushing our reviews and uh, comments. Please, please, really appreciate it. You can find us on uh, on all social media platforms at The Man Up Pod. Find us on YouTube. Subscribe there as well. Kevin, what's our website? Our website is www.themanuppod.com. Uh, For Adriana, Kevin, and I, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one.